Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Luke Edwards and this is our unemotional look at the beautiful game from the Champions League to the National League and beyond. It's Easter weekend, so we've got another excellent podcast for you. And joining me in my two Easter bunnies, it's Alex Pereira. And once again, she is back. It's the Males Women's Football Correspondent, Catherine Batty. Hello, ladies. Hello. It's great to be back. I know it's been a while. Missed the women's football podcast, so it's great to be back on Easter Sunday. Absolutely, it was a big weekend domestically. We'll look at that later on in the pod, but we're going to go back to midweek and the second round of international games. And England now just need a point to qualify for the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand next year. They beat Northern Ireland 5 0 in what was a sellout crowd at Windsor Park, just over 15,000 fans in Belfast for Northern Ireland. A first for the ladies' national team as well. On the pitch, they battled, but ultimately Serena Wiegmann's side was too strong. It took 25 minutes for Lauren Hemp to open the scoring and it stayed that way until the 52nd minute when Ella Toon added a second and then the floodgates opened a little bit. Hemp added another one before Georgia Stanley got in on the act and got a double. Once the second goal went in, the next three followed quickly, something which prompted Northern Ireland manager Kenny Shields to say that he felt his side didn't believe they could win. Controversially, it also said that women are prone to conceding goals in quick succession because they are more emotional than men. Now, he brought out a bit of a, a mealy-mouthed statement the next day, apologised for the offence his comments have caused and said that he's proud to manage such a group of players who are role models for so many girls and boys across the country. He's also been backed by his captain, Marissa Callahan, who released a statement on Thursday saying that collectively we stand by our manager. We feel his interview was in relation to a meeting that we had as a team where we analysed that we conceded goals in quick succession and emotions was one of the many things we discussed. Since Kenny took over our national team three years ago, I've always complimented him publicly on how he can get the best out of his players individually and collectively. And he's a man of integrity who cares for us like we are a family. He's transferred on the game here in Northern Ireland because he understands how to get the best out of his players. And we've qualified for a major tournament because he transformed our mindset. Right, discuss. Now, events post-match seem to have taken centre stage. We'll talk about the match in a minute, but I'm going to ask both of you, what did you make of it? I thought it was, you know, quite incredibly tone-deaf to say that, to be honest. Yeah, emotion comes into the game, but you look at the men's game and you look at Chelsea-Brentford. Chelsea took the lead, were 1-0 up, were bossing the game, conceded, and then they conceded three in quick succession. And that was quite a ridiculous thing to say. Football, there's always going to be passion and emotion. You look at the Man City-Atletico Madrid Champions League game, was there too much emotion in that when they all started decking each other? So I think it's completely um, ridiculous to say, oh, just because they're women and if they concede and then they concede quickly, maybe they're just not as good defensively and they're not as switched on once they've conceded because they think, oh, God, we've conceded. And they're thinking about that more than about the fact, OK, we've gone 1-0 down, we need to pull ourselves together and, you know kind of put on a fighting performance I just I thought it was completely tone deaf and I think obviously the captain's gonna come out and support the manager she's not gonna want to slag him off but it was not well received on Twitter a lot of people were like what is he going on about and I just just kind of wish he thought before he spoke yeah Ian Wright even got involved and said it was uh he didn't know what they were thinking and, and a lot of women footballers and men footballers that have got involved as well and statistically read somewhere actually you're more likely to concede again once you've already conceded um 
Catherine, I mean, obviously you've been probably at the heart of it this week. What did you make of it all? Yeah, I think I agree with Alex in the sense of I just don't think he fought before he spoke. Um, I, I've spoken to Kenny before and I've interviewed him and when he did his apology the next day and he said, you know, he didn't mean to cause offence, I do think that's true. I don't think his intention was to upset anyone or, or to cause offence. Um, I just think he's got a very outdated view, which, which you know, people still hold that this idea that women are more emotional generally in life than men, um, which is a stereotype and isn't always the case. Um, and I don't know, I don't think he's actually done, I mean, I might be wrong, but I don't think he's actually done the research into this that his comments suggested he had, because he was saying this was a problem throughout women's football as if he had sort of stats to back it up, but then didn't really offer any evidence, um, you know, to back up what he was saying. And actually, um, in, in a piece we did um, in the Mail on Sunday this week, we, we had a look at the WSL and the Premier League and compared them, and that, actually it was men that were conceding more you know, the third and fourth goals quicker than, than the WSL sides. And obviously that's not international football, but that's just that's just one look and sort of shows that his comments aren't necessarily being, you know, holding up. And I think he has this issue of, um, we've seen it in his career before, where, again, just a case of not thinking in, in post-match and almost rambling and sort of going from what, one point. And he wasn't even asked about, you know, the conceding of the goals. The question, you know, that this answer came from was, about someone praising part of his team selection, and we somehow ended up on this this discourse of emotion from you know a completely irrelevant you know, question to to what he was answering. So it was quite strange, and I think I mean, as I say earlier in his career, he was actually told to stop doing post-match press conferences because, um, ironically, he was told he could become emotionally imbalanced in key moments, and um, obviously he has done them since um, since he was told not to, but. Uh, after doing the research and reading about that, I wasn't surprised. Um, and as I say, I think it's just a case of, of not thinking things through um, before before speaking, unfortunately. Is this a, a case of a bit of a middle-aged white man syndrome? I probably think so. I just, there's no really excuse for it and there's you can't really defend it either. It's just, it's one of those things that unfortunately has happened. But in 2022, should this still be happening? I, I'm of the mindset it shouldn't, but I think, like you say, it is very much outdated thinking. And like Catherine said, if you don't do the research, you come across incredibly tone deaf and mm. naive. So it is a difficult one, but he'll probably somehow be able to bounce back from this. So who even knows at this point? Catherine, it is great though that someone like Ian Wright has come out and and, and sort of stuck up for the women's game. He's done it a lot, hasn't he, recently? I mean, we were talking just before we came on the pod, then he got encouraged people to go down and watch Arsenal's women at the Emirates. And he even posted a tweet out saying, look, I've cried on the pitch many times. What does that make me kind of thing? And it's great that somebody like that in the public eye, a big footballing figure is sticking up for them. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant, Ian Wright. I, I, I love him. I think he's absolutely what the women's game needs. And it, it's everything you want from someone that's more known on obviously on the men's side of the game. I know he's not a current player, but as a former player, um, you know, the work as he does as an ambassador for Arsenal and the women's game generally, I think is brilliant. And I only wish there was there was more people like him. We need more Ian Wright to, to help promote the women's game. You know, he's obviously on the Arsenal side of things, but he does promote the other clubs as well. He's always kind of bigging up the different England players. Um, if we had kind of more former former players of and legends of clubs doing the same, it would you know it only make things better. So 
yeah, I, I, I love Wrighty. I, I kind of want to be Ian Wright's friend, to be honest, but I'm, I'm not high enough up to, uh, to, to befriend him yet. Hopefully, fingers crossed one day. <laughs> yeah, don't we all? We all want to be Ian Wright's friend. Um, for Northern Ireland, though, more happier times off the pitch was seeing Windsor Park sold out. And as he said, they've made such great strides. It's just a shame that the, the sort of that post-match interview took the gloss off what's been a great few months for Northern Ireland off the pitch, you know, players turning professional and getting people to fill Windsor Park for that international. Yeah, no, yeah, it has been. Um, I mean, the progress Northern Ireland have made in, in just a year is is phenomenal, really. I mean, um, these players were, as you say, part-time working in shops, working in schools, hospitals, and playing sort of international football alongside their, their daytime jobs for such a long time and managed to qualify for the Euros. And now um, they're training full-time um, in the build-up to the tournament. And they're selling out the national stadium. I think you know, last time, this time last year, or even you know, in October, I think they only got four thousand um, for a crowd at Windsor Park. And you know, to, to get a, a over fifteen thousand is you know a brilliant achievement. And it was noisy in there as well. I mean, the fans were making a lot of noise every time England scored. They booed. Um, the only strange part was I, I kept forgetting that England and Northern Ireland had the same national anthem. So sort of hearing the whole ground singing "God Save the Queen" was a bit strange, but. Um, you know, there was a lot, you know, a lot of young kids there, clearly, you know, boys and girls um, that are only going to kind of be inspired by watching watching their national team players. And as we say, you know, Northern Ireland don't get to major tournaments very often. It's the same for the men. You know, they were there in 2016, but not been at another tournament for, for a while. And this is the, the first time you can watch the women at one this summer. And, you know, hopefully they can kind of, um, I think a situation like this might maybe even might make them stronger in a, in a strange sort of way. The fact that the players are behind the manager. You know, the manager has got the players on side. They might almost have that that wall where they kind of, you know, say, right, it's us against everyone else. Where we you know we're going to kind of come together and close ranks. You never know; it might actually, uh, in a strange way, sort of help them if that kind of makes any sense. Yeah, on the pitch, you did struggle to get going a little bit, England, but eventually they got the job done, didn't they? Yeah, um, I think it was always going to be tricky because Northern Ireland were always going to defend and, and look to, you know, go on the break. And we saw them frustrate England at Wembley for, for 60 minutes. Um, but once that first goal went in, I think that that really kind of set the tone. And I mean, you know, Lauren Hemp was, was brilliant once again down the left and combined with, with Ella Toon really well. And uh, those two were, were very clinical when they got their chances. Do you think for Northern Ireland in terms of the tournament, obviously, they're in England's group at the Euros. Do you think this result will make any difference to it going forward? Do you think it's going to be another comfortable victory for England in the Euros in the group stages? I think it's kind of hard to tell. I'm not really sure that um, that last week's game will have any effect on the Euros just because of how different tournament football is, um, especially as Northern Ireland is the last game in the group. We've got kind of no idea how those first two games against Austria and, and Norway will go. Um, you know, Norway's going to be a very tricky game, that middle game. And, and Austria are no pushovers either. So, um, you know, we, we don't know what England will need from that last net, that last game. We don't know what Northern Ireland may or may not need. You, would, you wouldn't expect them to be in, in the running for, for getting in the, in the top two in the group. But, you know, you, you never know. So mm. if England need a, a win to top the group, Northern Ireland will be desperate to, to stop them from getting that. Or if they need a win to get out of the group, for, for example. So um, I'm not sure, sure uh, last week's result will have, have much bearing on on the Euros, uh, only in the sense that it might have given Serena Serena Wiegmann an idea of how you know Northern Ireland might might set up in, in that game. 
Yeah, also in England's group for qualifying for the World Cup, uh, Austria, they won 8-0 over Latvia. And that means although Kenny Shields sides mathematically can finish level on points in the race for second place, the Austrian superior head-to-head record means Northern Ireland can now not reach the playoffs for the tournament next summer. For Scotland, they remain second in Group B, five points behind group leaders Spain. Jenny Moso scored in each half to seal top spot for Spain as they beat Scotland 2-0 at Hamden Park. It was a much improved performance from Scotland from the 8-0 drubbing that the Scots got earlier in the season over in Spain. And after a week in which the players criticised the Scottish FA for their promotion of the game and claiming the governing body did not support them to the same levels as men's side, that's in terms of ticket arrangements. The FA responded open more sections of Hamden Park and 7,804 people ended up watching from the stand, which again was a record for a home competitive fixture for the Scottish women's side. They now face a rearranged fixture away to Ukraine and a trip to the Faroe Islands with two victories guaranteed to seal second place in the group. Alex, a bit of a thankless task for Scotland in the end, but certainly encouraging. They feel like they're going in the right direction with that result and they could still get in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. And I do think on the whole ticketing thing, it was really bizarre how it was all handled because I'm not sure whether it is the same for the men's game where they release it section by section, but just do it like they do for Wembley and just release them all at one point because then it makes it so much easier for people to go and watch the Scotland women. Like you want you want to grow the game in Scotland, mm. start restricting people from going to see their national team. But I think despite all that, you know, people kind of look at Scotland as one of those teams like, yeah, they're kind of there or thereabouts, but they're not really doing much. So I think, you know, them kind of challenging Spain, perhaps not getting the win, but restricting them to 2-0 is a positive thing because we all know Spain are a phenomenal side and England were able to, you know, I think keep them to a draw in the Arnold Clark. So hopefully... Scotland can kind of just build from this performance and hopefully get more wins and get more people down to Hamden Park to watch them play because that's how we're going to grow the women's game. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make, Alex, because obviously the all I think all the players came out on Twitter and kind of criticised and it almost forced the Scottish FA's hand into it. Yeah, it did. And I like the fact that all, I think all the tweets were kind of synchronised to go out at the same time, which like if you if you want to be a team that is the way to do it and it just it is such a shame because you look at other governing bodies and the way they support their women's team and their men's team and for Scotland to not have that support or even just to have like even one of the Scottish men's players to to call it out and say this isn't right that would have helped a lot but I'm hopeful that one day we will get parity of the men supporting the women and vice versa for Scotland. It's just a slow process at the minute. Catherine, do you think Spain are one of the favourites for the Euros coming up? Yeah, they're definitely one of the contenders. I think um, a lot of people are tipping them to win it. I'm I'm not sure I'm of that um, crowd just because um, I think they're still growing as, as a national team. And I think people are reading a lot into, obviously they've got so many players from Barcelona and Barcelona have been so successful. But Spain don't necessarily play like Barcelona, and Spain, you know, as a group, as a national team, haven't won anything, and you haven't sort of, you know, reached the latter stages yet. Um, so they've still got a lot to prove. And actually, I think being in the group with with Germany is going to be tough as well because, you know, I think Germany were were pretty unlucky in the Arnold Clark in, in terms of they had about 15, 16 players missing, and still got pretty good results. 
So um, I'm kind of more leaning towards the, the Scandinavian sort of, sort of sides. I think Sweden will be very strong. And I'm actually quite concerned about Norway being in England's group, because especially with Hegerberg being back, you look at their front three, Hegerberg, Wrighton and um, Graham Hansen from Barcelona. That's a pretty frightening trio. So I'm, uh, I'm a little bit concerned about that game. But um, yeah, there's, some, there's definitely some strong teams. I mean, Spain will, will give, give people a test and they should get out of their group. They could obviously face England in the quarters, depending on you know who, who finishes where. Um, but I'm not sure about them being the favourites to win it. I think, as I say, I think people are jumping the gun a little bit with the, with the Barcelona connection. Yeah, I saw them in the Arnold Clark Cup. I was really impressed with them and they managed to beat Canada in the end, but they kind of did fade a little bit in the second half, put themselves under unnecessary pressure. So it'll be interesting to see how they do handle that going forward. Uh, in terms of Wales and Natasha Harding, she scored on her 100th international appearance as they dominated in a 3-0 win in Kazakhstan. Harding became Wales' eighth centurion and fifth woman to reach the landmark. Helen Ward, friend of the podcast, she'd reached the 100 landmark earlier in the week. Harden, of course, plays for Reading and she scored from close range, but Wales 2-0 up just before the interval after strike partner Kayleigh Green had opened the scoring in the 29th minute and they're in control after halftime, added a third goal as Jess Fishlock smashed the ball into the net. The victory keeps World Cup qualification and a first major tournament appearance in their own hands as they chase a runners-up berth in Group I to ensure a playoff spot. They can guarantee a second-place finish with victories over Greece and Slovenia, who are currently second in the group, and that's in their final qualifiers in September. Um, and Catherine, it was a must-win game for Wales in the end, and they came out on the right side of it, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a very encouraging in the international break for Wales. That that game against France, they gave them a really good run and, you know, a very convincing victory there. And obviously they're one of the teams chasing, um, you know, a, a place at a major tournament and haven't, you know, quite managed to do it yet. have been close a few times and I think it, it would be massive for the country if they could get over the line. Um, you know, they've got some great players in there and, um, yeah, you know, it'd be, it'd be great if they could could make it next year. Well, saying what a servant both her and Helen Ward have been for Wales. I mean, Tash Harding couldn't keep her emotions in check during the anthem. And interestingly as well, Tash Harding is the first Welsh speaker, either man or woman, to win 100 caps for Wales. So that's another interesting fact for you. And Republic of Ireland, they earned a vital World Cup qualifying point away in Sweden after the host grabbed the late equaliser to draw 1-1. Sweden released a new shirt and a blaze of publicity with him telling people how to beat them. However, it nearly backfired as Katie McCabe's deflected strike put the visitors in front just before the break in the Group A encounter in Gothenburg. However, the Swedish pressure did tell as Kosovari Aslani levelled on 79 minutes. The draw sees the Republic drop to third in Group A, but with a game in hand on Finland. For the world number two ranked Sweden, the point secures their qualification for next year's finals. And as Catherine said Sweden are going to be a major threat in the Euros and also in the World Cup. Elsewhere in Group H, it's quite tight as group leaders Germany suffered a first defeat of the campaign away in Serbia. They move up to second. Allegra Poliak and Jovana Damjanovic put the Serbians 2-0 up. Leah Schuller got a goal back before Damjanovic got a second 20 minutes from time before Wolfsburg Tabia Vasmuth got a goal back in stoppage time. And in the same group, Turkey's hopes of a playoff place look over as they lost 1-0 in Israel. 
Now, domestically this weekend, it was the FA Cup semi-final weekend, both for the men and the women. There was a place at Wembley at stake on the 15th of May. Now, on Saturday, West Ham took on Manchester City at the Chigwell Construction Stadium. West Ham had chances early on, but it was City who took the lead through Ellen White. She headed into an empty net after Kira Walsh had smoked one against the bar. Chloe Curley made it two in what was an emotional moment. It was her first goal since returning from the ACL injury. You could see what it meant to her. But Lisa Evans gave West Ham a lifeline minutes before halftime with a composed finish as she rounded Ellie Roebuck. Lauren Henry restored the two-goal lead with a brilliant finish across Mackenzie Arnold and she added her second in City's fourth in stoppage time. And uh, Alex, West Ham, they gave it a goal, but ultimately as expected, City were just too strong, weren't they? Yeah, I just think West Ham started well and then they went a goal behind and then Julie Flaherty made that mistake for... Uh, Chloe Kelly to put Man City 2-0 up and then you know they West Ham got a bit of momentum got the goal back just before half time but they just really seemed to fall away in that second half and I think the stats are pretty telling in the sense that I think the stat is that West Ham have never beaten Man City ever mm. since they became professional mm. and the last time they played them like in a big FA Cup match yeah West Ham were able to keep them to a nil-nil draw at half time, but then in the second half, they just fell away and lost 3-0. And West Ham aren't a bad side at all, but City are like Chelsea in the sense that once they get on a roll, they just smoke teams and there's no, like their opponents just have no answer. And earlier on in the week, I did see this tweet about Ellen White and it was to do with England. And they were saying, oh, you know, she's only like three, four goals away from being England's top scorer. And a lot of people took offence to that because they're saying, oh, because of the names on the list was like Bobby Charlton, Wayne Rooney, etc. And they were saying, oh, you know, but this this isn't a tweet about women's football. But then people had to, people really were like fighting Ellen White's corner saying, the tweet doesn't say it's specific to gender. It just says in Ellen White, could become England's all-time leading scorer. And I think people people want to big up Harry Kane and all that, but he doesn't do anything in major tournaments. Ellen White performs, and she performs consistently for England, so she deserves to be England's all-time leading goal scorer. But, you know, she's doing it. She's not just doing it for the country. She's doing it for a club. She helped them win the Conti Cup. So more power to Ellen White. Apart from Harry Kane's golden boot in the World Cup, but there we go. <laughs> but the thing is, that the same sort of arguments in level that Harry Kane has been um, leveled at Ellen White in a way, isn't it? Going, um, oh, well, she only scores against really poor teams. But as I said in our WhatsApp group chat the other week, you've got to be there to score them, haven't you? Exactly. But let's not act like a lot of Harry Kane's goals haven't come against similar opponents mm. and qualifying and stuff like that. That's the point, so, yeah. So... It can't, it can't be one rule for Harry Kane. And he's like, oh, he's so amazing. He's so this. And then be like, oh, Ellen White only scores against North Macedonia, et cetera. You, you play the opponent, like you said, you play the opponent in front of you. Like they don't have control over who they play. So shut up and support your teams, basically. It's great, isn't it, though, Alex, to see Chloe Kelly back on the score sheet? Yeah, like she just brings... I don't know what it is, but her personality just brings something extra to City. Like, sometimes they look a little bit flat when she's not there, but she's just, 
she's just such a good player and it was so great to see her sport even as a Chelsea fan when someone's been out for such a sustained period of time to see them come back and then score on their return like is thoroughly deserved like you don't want someone like that to be out of the game that long like she was it she was reaching her like prime she was like on the fringe of being like a regular for England and then she got the ACL injury and it was just such a shame and I, I just kind of wish it kind of happened later not that I would ever wish it to happen to anyone but it just it's one of those things where it really has disrupted her progress in a sense because she was doing so well mm. But at least, you know, when it comes to injuries like this, she didn't rush her recovery. She really took her time to recover and not, you know, re-injure it. Because we've seen before with players, they're so eager to come back and play that they're like, oh, yeah, we don't really need to do the full rehab, this thing, that thing. And then they're out for twice as long. So, you know, great to see Kelly, Chloe Kelly back and fighting for Man City and playing really well. Catherine, for West Ham, Oli Harder was quite defiant after his. He was insisting it has been a good season for West Ham and he said that we have three league games to go. We have three chances to be awesome. Now, can West Ham next season be like Spurs and be in and around the top four, do you think? Listen, yeah, I think I think he's right in saying that I think it has been a, a good season if you, you know, assess it overall. I mean, compared to where they were last season, sort of battling relegation and um, you, know, you know, not doing very well. I think they have made improvements. I think the, the the problem they have a lot of the time is they can't put the ball in the net. I think that's where they struggle. Um, I think they've got a lot better defensively, but they're lacking that really kind of one, you know, clinical forward up front, which is something they've lacked for a couple of seasons. Um, obviously, they lost, lost Martha Thomas in the summer, but even she wasn't really kind of someone that scored every week for them. Um, in terms of doing a Tottenham, I mean, you know, I, I don't think anyone would have expected Tottenham to be as, as good this season as they have been. Um, I mean, they've kind of fallen away a little bit. They've got quite a tough end to the season. They've got to play Chelsea twice, got to play Arsenal away. Um, so they could kind of fall a bit further down. There's quite a lot of clubs all in a similar situation. You've got Brighton in there who had a very strong start and then sort of fell off and they're now doing a bit better again. And I think that junk of, of middle teams, it's almost like you've got the top kind of four um, and then you've got the middle sort of table and then you've got the bottom three and... It's about kind of, you know, where you've got teams like Reading in that middle section and they all sort of seem to switch places. So um, they have a good summer. I think they need maybe a couple of additions still then. Uh, as I say, if they, if they bring in a, a striker that can get them a few more goals, then, yeah, no, why not? They could, you know, they could do as, as well as Tottenham have, have managed this season. On Sunday, the other semi-final <laughs> saw Arsenal host Chelsea in front of a bumper crowd at Meadow Park. Now, Jonas Eideval in the build-up to the game said he didn't want his team overthinking things. He actually said, I, I say you need to think like a squirrel. Hmm, I, I don't know how squirrels think, but there we go. And they also wore some horrendous tracksuit in their pre-match scour of the pitch. That was my uh, fashion observation of the week. Uh, early on, it was Arsenal making all the running, but they failed to take advantage. And Chelsea looked more threatening before half-time. Whatever Emma Hayes said at half-time worked as her side came out the blocks quickly and go right and find it fired in a beauty five minutes into the second half. Arsenal struggled after that and another beauty from G shooting in off the bar sealed the deal which made me go G whiz and think of a podcast title 
far this week. Emma Hayes wasn't happy with the first half, though, saying it was like we had the lead in our legs, but she was happy with the overall result. Now, as I, as I mentioned, Catherine, you were at the game. The owner side of I'll use the squirrel anal- analogy, but in the end, they seemed confused and just dropped all the nuts in the end. There were so many mistakes at the back, wasn't there, from, from them? Yeah, they looked, when they're trying to play out from the back, they looked like they could, you know, create um, create problems for themselves every time. I think I think we've seen Man- Manuela Zinsberger is a brilliant shot stopper. I think she made some great saves today, but I think her distribution um, lets her down at times. And you've got a goalkeeper there that, can't always take goal kicks and they have to play out short and then they play themselves into trouble and that that gives you a real problem. Um, and, and there was a couple of times today, I mean, Leah Williamson gifted the ball to Beth England just before half-time and she she should really have taken advantage of it and, um, you know, was sort of let off. That was a warning sign. And then uh, it sort of continued in the second half. And there's been a few times like that with Arsenal this season. You saw it when they played Wolfsburg. They were doing the same thing of playing out from the back and you're sort of going, oh, they say pass it around and almost give it away and it's something obviously that that's their style they like to build from the back but they've really kind of got to got to nail it down and got to, got to be better at it and and I think that comes from first the goalkeeper having having the confidence to to make it and as I say I don't want to sort of have too much of a go at, at, at Zinsberg because I thought she did make some great saves in the second half you know to keep Arsenal in it for, for longer than um, they would have been but um, as I say, I think distribution is something that, that she's had an issue with for a while now and um, it's something that I really have to look at. Emma Hayes said that this means nothing in terms of the title, but surely it's a psychological advantage for them. Yeah, I mean, well, the title's now the only trophy Arsenal can win and, you know, if you don't get that, that's that's three years now without a trophy. Um, I do think Chelsea have got it slightly tougher, slightly tougher running than Arsenal in terms of they've got to play Tottenham twice. And that final day against Man United, who are probably going to need something if they want to want to get third. So, whereas Arsenal, I think, are playing teams that are tricky, but necessarily probably won't have anything to play for. Everton are safe. Birmingham might be down. I, I think I know, Chelsea play Birmingham. I think Aston Villa will be safe and West Ham. So three teams there that are, as you say, they're playing maybe for pride, but um, not nothing necessarily to, 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 to play for. As Chelsea say, Tottenham... Still got a slight chance. Uh, Birmingham will probably be be down by the time they play them, and then Man United on the last day is a really tricky one. But I, at the minute, I just can't see Chelsea dropping any points. They just look so confident. And even today, when they were under trouble for a, in trouble for a bit for the first half, Arsenal didn't really have any clear cut chances despite having that pressure. And um, you know, I think Chelsea had hard, harder on the bench today. He wasn't fully fit. Eriksen on the bench. Um, you know, they've they've got strength and depth there. And, um, as I say, at the minute, I can't really see them dropping any points. Alex, it was also revealed this week that Frank Kerr will be out for the rest of the season with fatigue, and that's such a blow for club and country. She's such a, a big player, isn't she? Yeah, she is. But of course, I'm always of the mindset that a player's health always comes first. Like, Frank Kirby is a phenomenal player, but if she genuinely is struggling the way she has been, I'm... I can't fault her for taking time out of the game because if she doesn't, it can have a serious detrimental effect. Like she's been very open that she's had struggles in the past, you know, like when she lost her mother, she she was very depressed and stuff like that. And you don't really want to see a phenomenal player like Fran miss out on games like this and potentially on the Euros. But if she's not, if she's not mentally there and she's not of sound mind and she feel like she can't, perform to the highest level like it it is it is heartbreaking but 
we would rather she take the time away, get herself fit, than have a breakdown on the pitch because no one would want to see that. And it it makes me upset in the sense that some of the responses just have been so horrible. Like someone tweeted like, oh, Chelsea FC, like they should have planned better for this. And then someone tweeted about it saying, how could you plan for someone to basically have a breakdown because like you you just can't plan for that and I think the fact that she is so close to Emma Hayes she's always got that support and Emma Hayes will, is one of those people that will be constantly checking in on Fran making sure she's okay and I really do wish her well. We mentioned Fran Kirby obviously but her replacement Beth England's come in and done really really well and um, there were a few whispers that she might actually go out and loan in January so that she could get regular football before the year or else. But she's really taken a chance, hasn't she, Alec? Yeah, I mean, six goals in three games, not five like the reporter said at the end of the last match. But Bethany England just offers that experience. She's a hard worker. Someone even says she could teach Romelu Lukaku a thing or two about scoring a goal, which I thought was quite funny. But she's just, you know, she's just one of those players that is so hardworking. And then, you know, to see her get player of the match. And then it's quite funny that she went on um, the Chelsea TikTok and they were just like, oh, you know, Beth, just stand there and nod your head and dance. And it was just great. I, we just get to see her personality so much. And I think that is a big part of why Chelsea are successful. They are genuinely a team and they do care and they all love and care for each other. I think, especially to come back after she got hit, like took that ball to the face, uh, it was quite, it, it looked quite bad. And then for her to come back, back on the pitch and put enough performance, I thought, although she didn't score, she works so incredibly hard. Her ball retention is so good. Like she probably should have, like Catherine said, scored that chance that she had. But, you know, just a top, top work effort from her. So it's City against Chelsea in the FA Cup final and something which I found remarkable was this was the first time that they'll have met in an FA Cup final. So Alex, you can't answer this question as I know what your answer will be, but who's winning? I've got to say Chelsea because they'll be looking for revenge after the Conti Cup especially. They started the Conti Cup well, got the early goal, but then just fell away in the second half. I think part of it will be stopping Ellen White and the other part will be stopping Caroline Weir because she is absolutely phenomenal, has has always scored some superb worldies. So Chelsea have really got to be on their game. And I think they'll really want to win it for Frank Kirby. And given everything that's going on at the club, being sanctioned, not having owners, not knowing what's happening day to day, I have to give massive, massive props to the way Emma Hayes and Thomas Tuchel have handled it because it is unprecedented times for Chelsea and I don't think there I don't think I could think of any other managers that could handle it the way they have like they've handled it with such grace and respect and you see managers like Klopp and Arteta moaning about the amount of fixtures etc you've got Thomas Tuchel saying we'll go by plane we'll go by bus and if we can't afford that I'll drive a seven-seater those are the kind of people you want managing your teams and Emma Hayes is just like you know when she got asked a couple of weeks ago is it weird being top of the table it's like Chelsea are serial winners regardless of what's going on it just seemed like a bit of a stupid question to ask someone who's won the league four times, won the Spring Series, 
won FA Cups for just won Conti Cups. So I think the fact that they're able to separate what's going on at the club from their performances is phenomenal. I like to answer the question anyway, so that's good that we've got a neutral <laughs> voice on. Uh, Catherine, well, put your neutral hat on and tell me who you think is going to win and why. Yeah, it's it's really hard to call because I, I think Chelsea and City are the two teams that are you know are the most in form. City haven't lost since they lost to Chelsea in the league in February, and uh, Chelsea haven't lost since they lost to City in the cup. And the last time they lost in the league was December. Um, I I do think Chelsea might just nick it, but on penalties, I think it's going to go all the way to penalties. We've not sort of seen a cup final since since City Arsenal in the Conti Cup. Um, a while ago, which went went all the way down. I just think I can't I can't sort of split them in in ninety minutes. I think it could go all the way to to spot kicks. And for some reason, I think I'm catching Berger might just be quite good at saving penalties. Maybe so. Um, I'm going to go with Chelsea on pens. There we go. You've heard it here first. There's no games in the WSL. There's only one game in the Championship and Coventry United, despite being bottom, remain unbeaten as they left it late to claim a draw at second place at Bristol City. The Vixens took the lead through Abby Harrison. The Scottish international has scored a 20th goal of the season. But seven minutes from time, Katie Wilkinson equalised the lead and just five points behind Watford. Now, Catherine, Abby Harrison is having another fantastic season. She did well in the WSL last season. Bristol City, as we know, cannot go up this season. And I know their fans won't thank me for this, as we have quite a few who listen to the podcast. But surely she'll have WSL suitors after her this summer? Well, you'd think so. I mean, I know she signed a new contract in March um, that, that's going to keep her there for another year. And they've got an, another option to extend that as well for the next year. But... That doesn't necessarily mean she won't go this summer because, as you say, I think there will definitely be interest um, from clubs, probably as uh, the ones that we talked about in that middle sort of lower section. I think, you know, your Leicesters and your Aston Villas. And it's it's whether she kind of wants to go to a, one of those clubs or wants to sort of stay in the championship, develop another year with Bristol. And, you know, if she's happy there, uh, she might be prepared to play in the championship for another year if, if uh, she thinks that Bristol can get promoted next season. But... It's hard to turn interest down from the WSL if you've got it. I know she's obviously broken into the Scotland team as well. Um, and I don't think staying in the Championship would have hampered her chances, but playing international football, you, you, you know, playing in a, a higher level is always going to help you in, in that sense as well. So um, she might have a big decision to make if, if clubs do come in. But as I say, so far, she's pledged a, a commitment to Bristol. So um, she seems to be happy there. And as I say, she's done done brilliantly this year again so uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens there and also the battle at the bottom is really exciting there's two games left Watford are away at Crystal Palace next week Coventry United hosts Lewis then the final game of the season sees Watford host Coventry United and it looked a done deal a few weeks ago didn't it but Coventry have kept this alive haven't they I mean I think it's magnificent what Coventry have done since um, January you know, obviously having that points deduction and then to, to not lose a game I mean you really have to hand it to the players and the staff for, for the effort that they've put in and to even give themselves a chance of, of staying up is is fantastic and Hopefully, hopefully, you know, I think everyone probably wants it to go down to that, that last game as, as a neutral because that really would be, um, you know, a, a fantastic match. And you know, Lewis is a, a winnable game for, for Coventry. I think mm. Watford have the tougher match against Crystal Palace. Obviously, they need Watford to lose that for it to go down the last day. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully they can get a result against Lewis and um, take it to that, that final day of the season. But I mean... 
I think you really have to hand it to Coventry. If they manage to stay up, then then Jay Bradford surely is, is getting manager of the year in, in some sense. I know Matt, Matt Beard winning the league with Liverpool has done a great job, but if, if Jay Bradford can keep Coventry up after after what they've been through, then, you know, hat, hats off to her. So looking at the National League, the player final has been confirmed for Saturday the 21st of May at Stockport County's Edgewood Park. Now, we know Wolves will be there as they were confirmed as North champions last week. The South's a bit more complicated. We're going to look at that in a minute. In the North of Derby County, they stayed second as they won 2-1 away at already relegated Hull City. Filed, they won 2-0 away at Sheffield FC. They're also relegated. West Brom drew 1-1 with Middlesbrough and Huddersfield drew 2-2 with Loughborough Lightning. And that is a massive point for Loughborough Lightning in there bid to stay up so if you follow us on instagram at the women's football podcast you'll have seen that london bees captain lauren herrera took over our instagram stories ahead of their game against ipswich town now ipswich are in second place at the minute they took on london bees they are still in the hunt for promotion of course ipswich and they beat london bees by three goals to nil southampton no stay top they beat Plymouth Argyle by six goals to one. Plymouth are in the relegation zone on goal difference. It's just still four points behind Southampton. Southampton have a game in hand. Who's finished Bridgewater and nil. Portsmouth two. Portsmouth definitely safe. Cardiff City one. Crawley was three. Cardiff aren't safe. As we mentioned, they're out of the relegation zone only on goal difference. Chichester and Chelsea, massive win for them by three goals to nil. They've got one game left and they're only three points out of the relegation zone. So they could well still stay up. They beat Hansel by three goals to nil. Canesian, their relegation was confirmed during the week. They lost 9-1 at home to Southampton. So we do keep an eye on what is going on north of the border as well. And Glasgow City have dominated for about the last million years, haven't they, in the Scottish Women's Premier League. But that could all change this year. They currently trail Rangers by five points and it's looking like it could be Rangers' title to lose. Rangers had a good 5-0 win over Hibernian whilst Glasgow City won 4-0 away at Spartans. Celtic are out the title race but they won 2-0 away at Partick Thistle. Hamilton, they're bottom of the table but they got a 1-0 win away at Motherwell and Hearts won 1-0 away at Aberdeen. Glasgow City, they travel to Hearts next weekend. Rangers take on Aberdeen. So we're going to keep a close eye on that. And as always, we look at European League. And this week we're in France as a title race hots up there. It's looking like pole position for Lyon as they look to wrestle back their title from PSG. Lyon had to do it the hard way though this weekend. They had to come from behind at fourth place at Fleury 91. Rosamond Kowasi had given the host the lead, but that was cancelled out a minute later through Katerina Talashlati before Katerina Macario grabbed the winner to keep them five points clear of PSG. You beat Issy by six goals to one. And 11 points clear of PSG's cross-city rivals, Paris FC, whose game we're watching they were impressive in their 3-1 win over Montpellier on Good Friday. Alex, Catherine, thank you very much for joining us. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TVOFP1 and on Instagram, it's the Women's Football Podcast. So give us a like, leave us a review as well. Get us via all your podcasting platforms, how you download everything, and you'll hear us there every week. And we'll see you all very soon. 